Isaiah 66, verse 15 to 24. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury, and rebuke the flames of fire. For by fire with the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination, and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations to Tarshish, Pul, Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands and far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. But they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all the brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on the horses and in the chariots and in the litters and in the mules and in dromedary and my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, and some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offering and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled amongst me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be abhorrent to the flesh. Here ends the reading. Amen. Well, good morning. Andrew, uh, Musicians Choir, I've often wanted to say thank you for your ministry. I don't normally get the opportunity, but this morning, yes, thank you for your ministry that helps us worship and uh, for leading us in song. This is the, the first time I've had a chance to stand and speak to you as a congregation since Nancy passed away. And uh, I don't think I can really start without, again, just maybe one last time, just for your love and your concern, for your prayers over these past 20 months. Today is our anniversary, when we would have been married 35 years. When Robin asked if I would speak, and he said the 8th of September, I wasn't sure at that time whether I should accept I'm sure Robin had no idea, but I thought, Lord, you must be in this. And uh, so really this morning, I would like to say a few things about Nancy just in starting, Um, and then as we look at our theme together of going. This this coming Saturday, um, 
Some of the ladies in the ladies group that Nancy was part of have arranged a walk for Nancy. We're going to go to Points Pass at 10 o'clock and make our way back to Port Down. And then to some refreshments, which I'm sure we'll be needing by then here at the church. If you haven't signed up, you'd like to come, then please do see Joy Smith, uh, Michelle Irwin, I guess Dan McClelland as well. If, if you know like one of these ladies, you'd like to come you have more de- and you need more details, please see them. But there'll be some information at the doors. But it's just an opportunity to remember Nancy's life. We've chosen to uh, sponsor the Romanian uh, home that, uh, of Stand By Me that is well known to this church and we send teams to regularly. We do that because this church knows that, that ministry. It's a ministry to children. That is um, something that Nancy has always been passionate about, always wanted to serve children. But it's also because the current director of Stand By Me, is a UK director, is Ahmed Ayubi. And he's one of the little boys in the orphanage that Nancy brought up. And so we've been to see, I've been to see Ahmed, and he'll come over at some point uh, to receive whatever we raise for this orphanage. But it's just an opportunity to remember Nancy's life and to celebrate her life together. Nancy's life continues as a challenge to me. Just before um, she passed away, when it finally dawned on us, really, that the Lord was going to take her, she said, I wish we had done more. I wish I'd loved Christ more. I'd loved him more radically. I'd served him more faithfully. You know, we, we had a good cry and we had a good talk about life. But I think for all of us, what's left on my heart has been the realization that all of us, no matter what we've done, when we see Jesus, when we see how much he has loved us, when we see what he has prepared for us, we'll all wish we'd done more. We'd loved him more. We'd followed him more faithfully. And I think that's the challenge to my own life, but it's the challenge I really bring this morning. That knowing that, knowing we will stand before him, no one will suddenly be blown away by his love and goodness. Let's give all for Jesus. Let's go out to love him and to serve him. At Nancy's service, I was amazed that our, our colleague, who, who knew nothing of this, he chose, the things I remember about Nancy was that she loved Jesus and she served Jesus. Now, Nancy died in peace and victory. But that's the challenge that her life continues to bring to me. That as long as the Lord gives us life, that we love him and we serve him. So today I've been given the theme of going. Now I'm going to look at sending because if God is sending, somebody's going. And you may wonder about this passage in Isaiah that we, I've chosen, that we read earlier. Isaiah is an amazing book. These are the last words of this great prophecy. Isaiah from the beginning talks about the glory of God. He talks about judgment. But it's also balanced with a message of hope. That a servant would come. A servant who would come and redeem 
And then it ends with this passage. And those last lines are hard for us to to read. They're uh, shocking for us, maybe disturbing. But I think that's the point. Without God, without Christ, for those who rebel, there will be a day of judgment. And yet in the midst of all of that, God is sending. God is reaching out to those who do not know him, to those who have rebelled against him. He wants them to know him and to love him. Isaiah himself, right at the beginning, has this vision. You'll recall these words. I think Robin spoke in it not too long ago. Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. I'll read these verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Verse 8. And who will go for us? And Isaiah replied, I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah is a book about God reaching out to his people, about sending. Isaiah, as the Lord revealed, began to write about this mysterious servant. That would come. And there are songs about this servant throughout the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Again in Isaiah 53, well-known verses to us. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him and punished him, punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. After he has suffered, this is verse 11, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. As Isaiah penned those words, did did he really realize That as he saw this vision of the suffering servant, that it was the king of glory he had seen in that vision, who himself would come and leave the glory of heaven and come to earth to live among us. John tells us in John 12, 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Certainly we who now stand this side of the cross understand what Isaiah was writing about. We understand more of these mysteries of this prophet, of these prophecies in Isaiah. 
the suffering servant we now know was our precious Lord and Savior who came and lived among us and died to save us. I imagine in the deep, intimate, perfect love and union of the Trinity, at one point the Father said, Who will we send? And the Son would reply, Send me. Here I am. Send me. Thirteen times in John, Jesus states that he was sent by the Father. I have testimony, John 5, 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. So Isaiah is about sending. Isaiah himself responding to the Lord's call. Isaiah writing about this servant, about the Christ who would come. And so we come to our passage that we have looked at. I'd like us to look specifically at Isaiah 66, verse 19. I would like us to just answer three simple questions. Why is God sending? To whom is God sending? And who is God sending? Isaiah 66, 19. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of them who survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, to the Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. So why is God sending? Because there are those who have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. God is passionate about his glory. Isaiah 42, 8, where we read earlier, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. God's glory is perhaps something for us that's difficult to grasp. We think of majesty, we think of light, we think of power. Psalm 19 tells us in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The, sky, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. But perhaps what helps us also is what Hebrews tells us and what Paul tells us. Hebrews 1.3, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. 2 Corinthians 4.6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, make us light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is revealed to us in Jesus. And God is passionate that the people around this world who have not heard of his fame and who have not seen his glory do so. God wants all the peoples of this world to hear what he has done. It talks about his fame. It's an interesting choice of word. It's not used so often of God that they talk about his fame. They have not, God himself says, they have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. His fame, of course, talks about his great deeds, what he has done. The Israelites, of course, look back and thought about coming out of Egypt and all the miracles the years in the desert, the power of God that 
routed the tribes in the land that he had promised to them and they took great cities and they settled. The glory of God revealed through his actions. But we certainly from this standpoint look back and we recognize that the great things that he has done include the cross. Jesus coming and dying. His resurrection. His ascension. These are the great deeds that the world needs to hear about. Romans 10 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? So why is God sending? God is sending us that people might see his glory and hear his fame. God is not just sending us that we bring aid or help to a needy world, that we bring medical care or education or improve agriculture. We are sent for God's glory to reveal Christ, that men, women, and children come to know, love, and worship Christ. John Piper puts, his, puts it well in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. If the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good in the affections of the heart and the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be honored. So God sends us that men and women might hear of his fame and see his glory. Where is God sending his people? We read to the nations, to the surrounding countries and beyond. There's some discussion among the, in the commentaries about Tarshish and the Libyans and the Lydians and the Tubal and the Greeks. But essentially, they're the surrounding countries of Israel at that time, going into Asia, up into Europe, down into Africa, and across the Mediterranean. But also to the distant islands. It echoes the words that the early church was given. First here in Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Yes, certainly all those around you, but then beyond, even to the distant islands that have yet to hear. Verse 20 says, to all nations. Verse 23, that all flesh might worship. God knows, God loves, and God sends that they might hear. In brackets, in my Bible and, and in other Bibles, it may be in brackets as well, but it says to the Lydians, famous as archers. I think the King James puts it, that those who bend the bow. I think this is a reference that God will also send his servants to dangerous places. The bow-bending archers of Lydia. He'll send us to the Middle East. He'll send us to Central Asia, to countries that may not want the message, but there are people who need to hear. My mind went back to the story of Jim Elliot. Remember his attempt to reach the Aka Indians? He and four other men were killed by the Aka Indians in the Amazon in January 1956. However, three years later, amazingly, his wife and young child went to live among the Akas. They came to know Christ. She met those who had killed her husband. 
today there's a church among the Aka Indians. The mysteries of God's ways we don't understand, but he wants them to hear. I mentioned the Amazon because it's in our news a lot these days. We've talked about the forests that are burning up, and we've talked about the animals that may be killed and displaced. The the Amazon forests are the home to these Indian tribes who have yet to hear. There's some hundred plus tribes who yet to have a witness of Christ. One of the um, groups that I enjoy reading their reports is of our teams in the Amazon. And I remember them reporting of finally making contact with an unknown tribe, as far as they knew, an unreached tribe. And they began the, the process of understanding culture and learning the language. But as they visited more frequently with the tribal people, they suddenly realized that almost every Thursday, the people disappeared. Most of them left. So eventually, as they improved in their ability to ask questions, they asked, where does everybody go on Thursday? And they said, oh, we go to church. <laughs> so they were like, what? So they said, well, can we come too? And they said, sure, you can come too. So they went, and years before... A fisherman had made contact with them and came back weekly to barter for their fish. He brought pots and pans and probably machetes and things like that, and they gave him fish. But he got to know them. He got to learn a little bit of their language. He started telling them about Jesus. God had sent that simple fisherman to start this work among his people. You know, whenever we get to somewhere new and we find a people, we find that God's already there. God's already working. God knows, God loves, God sends. But I also mention this because this, these stories are not over. I don't remember, I don't recall if you, um, sorry, I don't know if you remember, but last November about, uh, on BBC News, um, a young man called John Allen Chua, he's American Asian, and he had a burden to get to the Sentinelese people. These are people who live on little islands in the Sea of Bengal off India. India has blocked any contact with them. They, they feel they should be just left alone on these islands. And he managed to get a boat to, to meet them. He began to give gifts and all of this. Eventually he landed and he was killed by the Sentinelese Indians. I was shocked with the media vilifying this young man. How dare he think he'd go and how dare he bring Christ. How dare uh, leave these people alone. But just this July, so about eight or nine months later after he passed away, BBC put a report on his life by a thoughtful reporter who went to the family, met the family, got his journal, and he discovered a thoughtful young man who had wanted these Sentinelese to hear about Jesus. He had gone through quarantine so he wouldn't bring any disease or at least reduce what he might do in, in, in that. He had thought about it. He had prayed about it. And his journal was clear that this was for Jesus. I don't know John. But I do know that these are the people of these distant islands that must hear about the fame of God that must see his glory. God sends his people 
because there are those who have not heard. And finally, who of his people is God sending? It's very interesting. It doesn't sound very encouraging. He says, I will send some of those who survive. You know, survivors, not the victorious warriors who, who, who survived, I mean, in a sense, who overcame, but he talks about setting a sign among them. Now, most commentators believe this sign is the sign of Christ, the sign of the cross, the time of the cross. And it could be that the, the surviving is from the destruction of Jerusalem, the early persecution of the church. But the word that is used is, I will send some of those who survive. If you have been following the storm, Dorian, and the destruction of the Bahamas, there are survivors there. They're, they don't look particularly powerful or particularly able. But it's these that God sends. Now, this brings me courage because this brings me encouragement in a sense and hope and should bring to all of us. God is not looking for the mighty and the overcomers. He is looking for those who hang on, those who hang on to him. He's looking for the weak who will trust him. That qualifies all of us to be part of those whom God will send. I often hear people say, well, I can't go. I have nothing to give. Uh, I don't really have any really great gifts or da, 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 da. Well, God sends survivors. God sends those who hang on. Hang on to him. Trust him to bring them through. It's not about us. It's Christ in us. I, I will set the sign among them. Christ in them. And I will send them. Some say that the method of God, in a sense that mission is over, the nations have come to us. Acts 17, 6, 17 26, 27, Paul is speaking to the crowd in Athens. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Where does God put the nations? He allots their dwelling place so that they might seek God and feel their way towards him and find him. Yes, he's bringing the nations to us. Why? That they may seek God. But missions is not over. God is still sending his people. And finally, before we leave this passage, verse 20, those sent, with what do they return? The picture is of them all going to Jerusalem to offer their worship at the temple. Their carts would normally be laden with the grain and the fruit and the produce of the land. But who is with them now in the carts? The nations. Those who have believed. Those who have heard of God's fame and have heard and seen his glory. They are returning now. This is the offering that the sent ones bring to the presence, to the throne, to the temple of God. The harvest of the nations. But let's look briefly in closing now at the New Testament. 
Isaiah has painted a picture for us of God's glory, that one day he will come and there will be an end and there will be justice. But in the meantime, his method is to send those who know him to reach out to others, to tell of his fame and to bring his glory. But Jesus, we recall these words of Jesus, now risen, victorious. He's meeting with his disciples after he's ascended. And he says to them in John 20, 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Now in his priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prays for the apostles. He says, Father, as you sent me, now I send them. But here it's to all the disciples who are gathered. It's to all of us. As the Father sent me. So now I'm sending you. Jesus' words in Matthew, what we call the Great Commission, say, Then Jesus came to them again to all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make, all, uh, make disciples of all nations. In most of our English translations, when you read that, the emphasis we put on is go. You've got to go. Now, that is true. I think it's an accurate translation. But apparently the Greek, I'm not a Greek expert, but uh, I'm borrowing on others who are. The real emphasis in that verse is on make disciples. That's where the Greek puts the command. And what Jesus is, perhaps a better understanding or rendering of that translation would be, in your going, make disciples. Now, Jesus often said things like this. He expects us to go. When Jesus said, when you fast in Matthew 6, or when you pray later, uh, also in that chapter, it should be understand that these are activities he's expecting us to do. He doesn't say if you pray or if you fast. But when you fast and when you pray, he's expecting us to do that. And I see this the same here with this going. He's expecting us to go. When you go. We go out of our homes. We go across the street. We go across the city. We go across the sea. Every day we're out and about, we're going. In your going, make disciples. I just want to concentrate on that little first part. God expects us to be those who are going, who are telling of his fame and demonstrating his glory, Christ in us. It's more than just telling people about Jesus. That's a good start. You've got to tell people about Jesus. They've got to hear. They've got to come to know him. But they've got to then be discipled. They've got to be encouraged in faith. They need to see how to read the Bible, how to pray, 
this is something all of us needs to be engaged in. Some of us may be gifted at that initial contact with somebody. Others may be better at opening the scriptures and explaining. But to me, it's all part of making disciples. And ultimately, we invite them into this gathering, into the church. Where the church binds together to help disciple, to help see people grow deep in faith, in their understanding. In your going, every day. The second leader of WEC used to begin his days with the simple prayer, Lord, what are you doing today? Can I be a part? But it's just getting up each day and saying, Lord, what are you doing today? In my going this day, how can I be a part of what you are doing? Older Christians, you say, well, I'm not going to go so far. I go slowly now. Well, that's fine. But are there younger Christians that you can be encouraging, praying for, mentoring, discipling? We're all to be going, engaged in the work of the church. Are you involved in making disciples? Sharing Jesus with family, friends, and fellow workers? Are you mentoring a younger Christian, praying for someone, finding ways to encourage them? And then really finally, one last little thought. In Acts 13, we read of the call of Paul and Barnabas. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Here again we see part of God's plan, that from a community like this, from a church, he will call some to go if I might say, to distant lands. Remember in Isaiah 66, 19, it said, some of the survivors, God didn't ask the whole church in Antioch to go, but he did ask some. And this was the start of Paul's missionary journeys and ministry. And it's set in the context of the church. The gathering, God speaks, the church prays, After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. God confirms through that. The church sends. The church stands with those they send. This is still God's method. This is still what he's doing today. This is what I continue to pray that First Portadown will be part of. It's great that we're in the middle of a building program. We need all of this. But in the midst of it, our eyes look beyond And we hope that God will privilege us to continue to send some. And so in the context again, this is a gain of worship. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord spoke. While Isaiah was worshiping and he had his vision, the Lord spoke to him. While they were worshiping, We worship what we love. 
and we serve what we love. What we need today really is a renewed vision of God's glory. We find that in the face of Jesus. Spending time in prayer in the presence of Jesus. Come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Be part of this vigil of prayer during the day. God doesn't force any of us to go. But as we see his face, as we begin to contemplate or catch a glimpse of his glory, and we catch a glimpse of his love for us, that he was willing to go, that he was willing to be sent, that he came and died, dwells up within us also to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I pray that we will be those who go. In our going, each day we will engage in witness by life and deed and word to make disciples. I pray that from among us, God will continue to call some of us to go beyond. I don't know how far or to where, but for the glory of God. So we've come full cycle in many ways. Let's love and let's serve. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you left the glory of heaven. Broken by the sinfulness and lostness and hopelessness of mankind. You came and you lived among us. You lived among a poor family, brought into a poor family. Lord, you worked with your hands. Lord, you loved us and you revealed God to us. You revealed the glory of the Father. Lord, you died for us and you rose victorious. And Lord, now you say to us, as the Father sent me, I now send you. And Lord, this has been your method through the ages to send. That those who know you and love you are sent to those who do not. That they too might hear. That they too might see your glory. And Lord, that they too might come to know you and to love you and to worship you. Lord, we know you will do this. That Lord, before your throne, there there will be people from every nation, tribe and tongue. Lord, I pray that this community of faith, Lord, that this gathering, this huddle of your people will also be privileged by you to send. That, Lord, we would support those who have gone from this, Lord, community. That, Lord, that you would call more of us. But, Lord, also that all of us would rise to this challenge that you have given us. To be sent as you were sent to live that out in the lives that you've given to us. Lord, help us to do this for your glory and that men and women might hear of your fame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.